Good morning and welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia in 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Wherever it may be, you're listening to The Breakfast Show here with Lyle and Lawson. But right now, just Lawson because this is the intro for the delayed broadcast. So anyone who's listening to this is not listening to the live show. And there's a couple of ways in which you can jump across to the live show. You can get on your phone, go to faithfm.com.au. Press play in the top right-hand corner. Bam, live radio. You can go to your app store, download a radio app, whatever it may be. Maybe tune in. That's the one that we use. It tries to give you some kind of free trial. You just click the X in the top right-hand corner. No trials, no anything, just completely free. Bam, radio, wherever you are, you can listen to it in your headphones. You can listen to it in your car. You can listen to it wherever you may be, maybe straight out the speaker of your phone or on your laptop. Wherever it is, you can listen to radio right across Australia, right across the world live. But still, if you're listening to the delayed broadcast as you are are right now, we love you. We love you. You're tuning in. We love that you're listening. Of course, I am just so grateful to be here with you this morning. I'm also grateful that uh, I'm about to leave the studio and, and head off to Sydney as if, you know, if you're a regular listener here at Faith FM, you would know that that me and, and Lyle and Monica are all heading over to Ethiopia for an amazing preaching trip. And I'm, I'm going to be going over there with them and I'm, I'm heading down to Sydney at the, um, today to, to sort out some passport stuff. So yeah, we are just absolutely stoked to be doing that. We have an amazing show coming up for you. Um, we're going to be studying through the book of Revelation in chapter 12, as we have been doing. We're going to have uh, a monrog and a mon interview, so double mon today, as we, we love um, getting her on the radio. She's currently in Kenya. Well, actually, not in Kenya anymore. She's in um, the airport in Johannesburg, I believe. Oh, no, Cape Town. Um, she's in the airport, but yeah, we just love it. Um what else is going to come up in our show? We're going to be talking about some current events around the world, some separation of church and state type things. And of course, Lyle is going to be answering the question of the day. And it's actually a really awesome, really fundamental question. Why is prophecy important? But yeah, guys, we are so stoked that you are listening to Faith FM. We are so stoked that you are joining us in this program. And yeah, just keep listening, stay tuned, um, and we'll just get into the show. Good Father, it's who you are. 
back, guys. We're heading over to Mon now, who is in a very different part of Africa. Mon, where are you now? <laughs> Lyle, I'm pushing a trolley through Cape Town International Airport. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I could hear some noise in the background. Oh, I'm sure this will be the noisiest interview we do yet. <laughs> but yeah. We've just landed. It was a very smooth fly. Thank you to all those who prayed. By the way, remember how before I left, I told you how I didn't like flying and I've never been able to watch a movie or watch TV or listen to music or do anything, not even read, and you set me the challenge of watching or listening or doing something on the fly. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. I do remember it well. Well, on my flight to Africa, I actually was very blessed in that I had an entire road to myself. I didn't actually get the challenge done, but only because I was sleeping flat out the whole time. So that was amazing. Okay, you're off, you're off the hook for that one. You're off the hook for that one. Okay, and, but I, I'm very happy to tell you that on this flight to Kenya, Nairobi, to Cape Town, South Africa, it was about five and a half hours. And Lyle would be so proud of me, I actually managed to listen to some music. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. You have accomplished the goal. Yeah, I actually found some great new tunes. I don't think we can play them on Faith FM because they're actually not in English. I have no idea what they said because I explored um, this sort of like world uh, compilation that they had as part of the in-flight entertainment and there was this... African musical, African languages, and it, it was really great. I had a great time listening to it. So, yeah, and I thought, you know what? I better tell Lyle I managed to get something done. <laughs> uh, wonderful. But I did tell you yesterday that I had some other advice for you for when you get to Africa because we are just around the corner from when you joined me here in Africa and we do uh, the mission trip in East Europe together. And I wanted to warn you about something that you're going to have problems with, which I'm not going to have problems with. Do you remember that? You did say something along those lines, and I'm super curious. Okay, okay. (laughs) All right, so when you go to church in Africa, you know how often uh, when you're flicking through the Bible, um, trying to find the verse, the preacher's like, you know, we're now going to turn to John 3.16, say amen when you get there. And then you start flicking and you say amen when you get there, right? Mm -hmm. And you know how when we do our encounter with God together in the studio and, you know, we're turning to a verse and I always beat you. You know this, right? I'm always like already there, already there. never. And you're like lagging behind. (laughs) Well, I want to warn you that you're going to have a bit of a hard time in Africa because in Africa they don't do say amen when you get there. They do stand up when you get there. (laughs) Oh, wow. So it's really obvious if you're lagging behind and not paying attention or just don't know your Bible books in order. (laughs) So I was like, well, I might have a bit of problem here. (laughs) Okay, well, it's like this, Mona. I'm not going to have any problem at all because I'm going to be the one who's preaching. So that gives me a bit of a head start. (laughs) I guess you can tell them all to stand up. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I do want to tell you something else that you might actually find annoying. Um, so I've discovered uh, this particularly happened in Kenya. I think it's branched in other countries, but it's, it's huge in Kenya. So the government has made this new law that um, if you are driving a um, like a public vehicle, so one where you pick up tourists or passengers, paying people, you, you're not allowed to drive more than 80 kilometers an hour. So that's the speed limit. And um, 
it's not very well enforced because traffic and driving in Kenya is just a fiasco unlike anything I've ever experienced. There are road rules, but they're completely disregarded. So you can do whatever you want. In fact, just yesterday, um, our driver was trying to overtake a truck and he wasn't going to make it. And so instead of slowing back down, he simply went to the other lane's shoulder and the truck went, the oncoming traffic went between us and the truck we were trying to overtake. Um, so quite hair-raising. I can <laughs> imagine that would get the adrenaline running. <laughs> it absolutely does. Actually, I want to say we were very blessed with our driver. Uh, he was a Kenyan fellow named Jacob, but I, I swear to goodness, he must, he must have some sort of German in him because his driving was just incredible. Off-road, on-road, everything. He was a really good driver. I, at first, I freaked out and was yelling at him, just slow down, slow down. He sort of looked at me all funny. Um, this is when, we, when he first picked us up in Nairobi a month ago. Um, but within like 20 minutes, I realized he really knew what he was doing. And, <laughs> and we had to drive five hours. And a lot. unfortunately, in Kenya, they don't have a lot of overtaking lanes or, or even dual-lane highways. It's often just a single lane. And... Um, and so there's a lot of hair-raising overtaking being done. And uh, once I relaxed into it, I kind of was egging him on because I could tell that he was holding back because he had a bunch of white freaked-out tourists in the back of his van. Um, and so he would sort of not risk it too much. And one time he decided not to risk it, and I yelled out from the back seat, come on, Jake, you could have had that one. And boys, <laughs> I get slapped from my colleagues. <laughs> but after that, he- <laughs> But he did do a risky one and everyone was like, that was your fault, Monica. And I was like, I'm loving this. Anyway, so back to the story. 80 k's an hour is all you're allowed to do. And, of course, because of this complete disregard for the traffic laws, like no one was actually doing it. And so they implemented something that is just the bane of travel in Africa. And that is they will um, install a beeper in every vehicle that is registered as a business. And so if you go over 80Ks, it goes beep, 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 beep. And then if you go 100Ks, it just goes beep. And, of course, because I don't care, or instead of stopping them, all it's done is given them a tolerance to irritating noises. And so for five hours straight, it was beep, beep. Beep, beep. So prepare yourself for that, Lyle. Maybe bring earplugs. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so the oh, back seat be became like the most enviable position. Yeah, as far away from the front was where everyone wanted to sit because, like, seriously, Lyle, I hear it in my sleep now because we've been driving for a few days and I hear that beeping noise in my dreams. <laughs> you would think that they might, you know, wrap some tape around it or something or other so that it's not quite so annoying? Something, something. I just, I'm astounded because, you know, there is a lot of lawlessness here. It is a third world country. I'm astounded they haven't figured out how to disconnect it. I mean, they've figured out almost everything else you could possibly do to a vehicle that's illegal. How have they not figured out how to just disconnect a little beeper, you know? You'd think that'd be easy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they've just gotten so used to it they don't care anymore. So prepare yourself for that. Um, do I have much more time? Can I tell you some stories about animals? You got two and a half minutes. Go for it. We'd love to hear about animals. Oh, okay, okay. So the animal. I just want to. I want to praise God really for the nature that He's created because it's just been the most incredible trip. Um, so once we finished all our medical clinics, we did a couple of little safaris here and there, and also in between when we had days off. <clears throat> and we've been so blessed. Our our Kenya health team 
managed to see pretty much every single animal um, that we wanted to see. We had like, you know, we had like a list. We wanted to do the big five. We wanted to do this. We wanted to do that. And we, it got to the point where we were seeing so many animals that we had to create new lists and we're coming up with like obscure animals. And then we would see them. And we were like, well, what about a mongoose? And then we saw a whole herd of little mongoose, mongooses. I'm not sure what the plural is. And uh, they were just so cute. And so we kept coming up with like harder and harder animals. And it's just that God kept blessing us and kept blessing us. And um, we saw something that was very rare to see, and that is actually a leopard. Uh, mm. So the le- leopard is part of the big five, but it is really hard to see because it's very elusive, um, evasive, and shy. And we actually managed to see one for a whole lot of time. It, it was just incredible. It was actually on a median strip in the safari park, just under a little bush, just having a nap. And then there were so many safari vehicles around it because, of course, it was a huge little blue that the leopard was out. And um, and it just it sat there. I think we sat there for an hour waiting for it to finally get up and move. And then it just got up. And I can't believe this. Like To one side were all the vans, the safari vans, and to the other side it was just bush. And instead of walking towards the bush, which you think any normal animal would do, it just sauntered over nonchalantly towards the van, walked in between the vans. Like, I'm talking like centimetres distance, not even metres away, like centimetres. Just, you know, just strolled in between the vans or casually. Oh, and then it laid down and, like, threw its leg up and had a little wash, and then it kept going... And then it sat under another bush, and we, we got so close that there hadn't been a sliding van door in between me and that leopard. I could have reached out and popped it on the, on the whisker. Oh, my. That's amazing. I know. You have got to be joking. Just incredible. Wow. Uh, I've got photos to prove it. Yeah, it was a – do you know what? A leopard is such a beautiful animal. I know it's hard to explain in just words, but – if you saw one in real life, like not in a picture, it's just so exquisite. And I can't wait to get to heaven and be actually able to get out of the van and touch all these animals and play with them and just rejoice in God's creation. Yeah, that's fantastic, Mon. Hey, Mon, we are out of time, but um, we look forward to you sending some of those photos over so that we can post them up on our Facebook page and let people actually see what you've been experiencing over there. But uh, no we look worries. forward to uh, hearing about adventures in Cape Town. Yes, I'll be sending through some pretty interesting interviews soon. Fantastic. Sorry, I was going to say shortly or soon. I wasn't sure. So I went with soon. Soon, <laughs> <laughs> Lyle. Soon. We'll, okay. We will add it to our, word, our, 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 our dictionary of new words. Okay, that's Mon <laughs> yes. um, catching up with us from, uh, from South Africa now, Cape Town. And uh, we'll be back again with Mon in a little while with an uh, interview. But um, stay tuned. We've got this song back right after this. Sarah, take me by my arm tomorrow. 
Welcome back. That was Andrew Peterson with Canaan Bound here on Faith FM, and it's time for the first clue for the quiz of the day. What have you got for us there, Lawson? Yeah, I got a, I got a quiz. You got a what, a, what, what am I? A, yeah, what am I quiz? Oh, what am Are I? you I saw, looking at my I little card? It. Well, I can't read the, the <laughs> fine print answers that are upside down. <laughs> All right, check this out. What am I? It's actually it's a really good one. I like it. This is okay. a question you should ask every day. No. <laughs> 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 it's 2019, Lyle. Um, all right, all right. What am I? If I said because I am... Sorry, yeah. If I said because I am not an I, I do not belong to the body, I would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. Oh, so that's a quote. Yeah, that is that, a that's quote. That's a quote from, from the New Testament epistles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... Look, there's a number of different body parts that are mentioned here. Yeah. The one that says, if I am not an I. Yes. Oh, the perplexed I've got look. a list. He's, uh, and, 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 he's deducting. Yeah. He's just I'm going just gonna, for I'm just going to go with uh, one off the list and okay, see if I get it. Okay. Oh, and he's incorrect. Sorry. Ah, so. Oh, so if you know the answer, give us a call 1-800-324-843 and you will get a prize. My gut was telling me something else. Oh, really? The next one, I'm going to go with my gut okay. and see if my gut was right. And should, I whether think I should, your gut I, is maybe usually, right. Usually, I, I, I overthought it. I yeah. thought, but, but maybe I didn't overthink it. Maybe I'm overthinking it now. What? <laughs> Dude, you're just like confusing me. You're just like confusing yourself. Uh, so what's what's going on around the world? What's happening in our current? Okay, news? so I have I have a question for you. Look, oh yes, yes, I love questions. This is this is a debate. So one eight hundred three two four eight four three is our number. We would we would love you to weigh in on this one. It's really early. Okay, so should the government fund a cross? On public land, like like a cross, like the government, a, the like, government fund, you know, the building, the maintenance of a cross, like as a memorial or a statue kind of thing. This particular one is a World War One memorial, and it's in the shape of a cross, and it's in the shape of a cross. Okay, yeah. Well, then, in that case, I think that. Yeah, it should be. But this is a symbol of Christianity. This is a Christian symbol. And so, therefore, the government is funding a particular religion or religious view. Yeah, but... And there should be separation of church and state. But the it's, a World War One, it's a World War One memorial. Yes. So? And? Well, let me ask you this. Why don't churches pay taxes? Is that the government funding? Is that the government funding religions? Is okay, this is a, that. That's a question for another day, but, and and it, and it and it does vary from one country to another. Okay, <laughs> so the one the situation I'm talk, talking about um, does actually is is taking place in the United States. It's gone before the uh, the U.S. Supreme Court to find out whether this particular cross, been around for like fifty years or so, is uh, constitutional. Bruh. Because the Constitution says that you know you have separation of church and state, and the government will not favour one religion over another religion, yep. and so therefore, because the cross is a symbol of Christianity, and the government has funded the building of the cross, and the government has funded the maintenance of the cross, and the government, and it is on government-owned land, is that a violation of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution? And of course, here in Australia, would we do such a thing? We also believe in separation of church and state. Mm. We got to think. And, and Jesus taught separation of church and state. I don't know where it is, but there's that like massive World War Two grave with all the crosses. 
Do you know where that is? Yes, there yeah. are a number of those both in the United States and in France and other places. Yeah, and it's like the the you know the cross is not like it's a symbol of Christianity, but the relation there is resting in peace. You know, and so for me, I'm like this is a symbol that has become more than Christianity. I don't think it's become like blasphemous to Christianity, but it's a symbol of resting in peace. And so what the cross is representing there is not, oh yeah, we're like supporting Christianity. No, we're supporting, you know, the rest of these soldiers who died. And it's interesting if you look at those crosses, you know, if you go to those forests of crosses, you know, say in France or someplace, and many of them, you know, are Jewish young men who died and they'll have a star of David on the cross, Mm. you know, Recognizing their, you know, um, ethnic and religious uh, background. Okay, so here's here's what the here's my view of. I'm going to share with you my view of it. Okay. Is that the cross definitely a symbol of Christianity, but also a symbol of sacrifice? Mm. And in the context of a war memorial, it's not symbolizing the religion of a country or the religion of the people who gave their lives. It's symbolizing the sacrifice of those young men. Mm. And as such, it becomes a, in context, a secular symbol. Yeah, fully. Now, of course, there are others who argue the opposite direction, say, no, this is a, is, this, this is a Christian symbol. It, it has originated in Christianity and become secularized. But because it has origins in Christianity, and of course the uh, let me just get my uh, the American Humanist Association who has taken this to court um, is Do arguing I just did the biggest eye roll. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> they did. but they have taken this to court. And it's gone all the way through to the Supreme Court uh, because wow. the, the, the lower wow. court the lower court found in favour of you know the cross staying there on appeal. The cross was going to be taken away, and so then it was appealed to the Supreme Court. Um, they they are arguing no because it has an origin in Christianity. People recognize it as a symbol of Christianity. They don't think of it as a symbol of sacrifice. They symbol, see it as a, as a religious symbol and therefore it should be replaced with an obelisk. Bruh. <laughs> Which I think what? is hilarious. <laughs> I think that's the most hilarious thing ever. Have you ever been have you ever been to Rome? Have you ever been to St. Peter's Square, which is round? Um, <laughs> and seen what is in the middle of that? Have you ever seen what is standing in front of so many churches around the world? Have you ever seen what is standing in front of or inside of so many temples in the world of mm. various religions oh, and persuasions? Is there <laughs> any more religious symbol than an obelisk. Yes, we're going to take the cross away. Let's replace it with an obelisk. That Now, now you can do the like, eye roll for the Humanist <laughs> Association. <laughs> so stupid. I'm reading this oh, thing. So that is dumb. hilarious. <laughs> when has when the obelisk ever been a, uh, a non-religious symbol? Like now, of course, of course, we have here in Australia. You know, I think nearly all of our um, war memorials are obelisks. And I don't really care what a person uses mm. for the war memorial um, because when I look at it, I'm not looking at it and going, "Ooh, you know, there's a phallic symbol of fertility, you know, cult religion standing there." I think, "Oh, that's a war memorial." You know, yeah, it's yeah, usually fully. associated with the statue of a soldier, mm. and it's a reminder of people who gave their lives in sacrifice, um, you know, for their country, for what they believed in for their mates whatever it might be and you know paid the ultimate sacrifice Mm. and 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 we should remember those people and never ever ever forget them Mm. um but uh yeah wow 
Um, replace it with an obelisk. There you go. That is what? That is wild. <laughs> I was reading this and they're like, yeah, this is a good debate. I'm interested in this. You know, this is, this is worth considering. And, uh, and, and reading the, the view of the, the humanist association. Like, yeah, they've got some valid points here until they argued in favor of an obelisk. It's like, oh, man, you, you done messed up, okay? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> All right, what do we have next? Okay, so in the United States, half of the half of church attendees in the United States go to just ten percent of congregations. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, so it's like a mega church versus mega churches tiny are taking churches. over. Yeah. And the question is: Is this a good thing or not a good thing? Uh, because you know, when you think about a mega church, a mega church is great in that it has a budget to be able to have a whole staff, and it has you know massive. It has kids church for every age group that there is. That is just you know full of every kind of uh, kids equipment and and all that kind of stuff. They've got you know they've got the they, they can hire in such incredibly high quality. Uh, musicians, mm. uh, they can have the best of the best preachers, so that you know every week you're getting an A grade sermon. Every week you go to small group and get an A grade Bible study, and so as a result of that, they're a little bit like Walmart. You know, Walmart moves in, puts everybody else out of business, and you've got Walmart. Yeah. But is this a good thing or not? So this is something that is uh, taking place in the United States, and we need to um, we need to understand and figure out you know what, what's going on here. The average congregation size is seventy, so there's a lot mm-hmm. of very very small churches, and of course in small churches you have the advantage then of it being a family atmosphere of people knowing each other really well, of the pastor actually knowing the people in his congregation yeah. and being able to minister to them in a meaningful way that you really don't have in those big churches so interesting direction our world is heading we're going to move on this is jeremy camp with give me jesus you're listening to faith fm Give me cheese 
Back to Faith FM. You're listening to Breakfast Show with Lyle and Mon, or Lyle and Lawson in this case, because I'm in Kenya without you boys. I hope you're having fun, but not too much without me. I am here in Hilton, not the Hilton, not the Flash Hotel. Don't stress. I'm not over here wasting up the donations that you guys sent in by some five-star hotel. I'm actually at a rubbish dump, and I'm here with Dave Hatfield, uh, who was a gentleman I only just found out about the other night, and I'm really keen back being to pick his brain about what on earth he's doing in Kenya. Welcome to the show, and how did you get to be in Kenya? I first came uh, on a short-term mission trip, uh, and by the way, thank you for having us today. Uh, I came on a short-term mission trip in 2007, and uh, God put such a vision in my heart that uh, after the two-week trip, I went home, got my wife, our kids, and came right back uh, just two months later, and we decided to uh, start a foundation called Livingstone Global Foundation. That's incredible. Like, you went, you just went home and just went, we're done, packed up, sold the house. Hang on, where is home for you? Because you do have an accent. I do. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yes, it's a California accent. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Uh, we Actually, I brought them back and we stayed for about a month and then returned home because our kids were in school. Uh, once they did finish school, however, yes, my wife and I sold our home, gave away our stuff, and uh, are spending more time here. So when you came over for that first mission trip, was it just you or was it you and the wife or you and the wife and the kids? Or was it a bit of a shock for them when you came back and said, family, we're off to Kenya? It was uh, it was me and my uh, eighth grade son. He was 13 at the time. And it was just impossible to tell my wife and our 10-year-old son what God had done here. And uh, they had to see it for themselves. And I've been so blessed that uh, God's given, actually, my whole family the same vision. Uh, to uh, help the people here in Hilton. God's purpose is definitely one that changes lives, and I wish you guys could see this for yourself as well. We are here at the Hilton, which is um, the Nakuru Rubbish Dump. It's the rubbish tip here for the city, and uh, we are in our van studio again, and we do have a bit of a live audience. The kids of the dump are coming over and having a look. Now, you went on a mission trip, you came back, and you started something else. What is it that this something else does? Sure. Essentially, what we do is we connect people. We connect people who want to help with people who want who need help and uh, that group that helps us are the ones that really believe that Jesus meant it when uh, what he said when he spoke the words whatever you do for the least of these you do for me that is a really beautiful simplistic theme I love it just connecting people to help people helping other people um, you have a special burden though for the area that we're in right now don't you Yes, I do. And it's really for the children. And so we started with education. Um, and so right now we have a school for 170 kids uh, from four years old and two up until about nine years old. Um, but what we found is that education alone was not enough. 
uh, at the end of the day, the kids would return home to this environment. And uh, what we've learned, what our experience has shown us, is that we have to start changing the home life, too. So uh, we've begun adult literacy programs for, for the people here. Um, we're organizing the community. There's 15,000 people that live in and around this dump site. And that's too many people to manage at one time. So if I go out on the street, I'm actually surrounded by, oh, 50 to 100 people with just asking me about legitimate emergencies. So we're going through the process of organizing the community into seven or eight different villages so that they're represented on our Hilton's Heroes Advisory Board. That way we get a voice from the community and we have a mechanism to bring services to them. You just said Hilton's Heroes. So what is Hilton's Heroes? Because you are wearing a really lovely yellow T-shirt that has Hilton's Heroes written on it, which I love because it sounds like Hogan's Heroes, of course. (laughs) So what is Hilton's Heroes? It does. Well, part of what we do, right, if we're going to uplift this community, it begins with hope. And my hope comes from Christ. But as we're an agent of his hope, if we can rise up heroes from within the community themselves. Uh, So the heroes for Hilton are actually the residents that live here. It's... um, yeah, it's encouraging that the people who are living in these circumstances can do better for themselves, that they, that's, uh, this can be a kinder, gentler uh, society than it is right now. Uh, and so actually combining the people here with donors and sponsors in the U.S. who are also heroes and the little heroes that are in our school that are working hard to have a better life, um, that's how our organization came about. I do want to ask, I mean, just just telling our listeners back in Australia that this community lives on a rubbish dump, mm-hmm. I, can you sort of broaden like what that really, like paint us a word picture of how the community here, what the system is, because isn't this the place where the BBC came a number of years ago and, and filmed part of a documentary, the, the Human Planet documentary? Because I saw that and uh, and it was in Kenya where people were running through the rubbish dumps and, and sort of like... You know, um, not scurrying, but like going through the going through the filth, looking for valuable stuff. Like, sure. what does it mean to actually live in Hilton? Sure, um, maybe one of the best uh, uh, identifiers is that we just brought in eighty new students into our school. Sixty of them don't even have birth certificates, so it means they weren't born in a hospital. They weren't. They really aren't even acknowledged as as people. Um, and their parents right now spend their days. Um, uh, with their hands uh, going through the rubbish looking for anything of value recyclables, metal uh, plastic bottles uh, they earn about 20 to 50 cents a day uh, doing that uh, and so it's just barely enough to buy anything uh, there's about 2,000 people at the dump site that are living that way right now that is just it's so heartbreaking I mean just the last few weeks we went to the flower farm uh, region where we thought the poverty was extreme because I'm making $3.50 a day but compared to 20 cents a day that's really quite wealthy um, yeah tell us some more and actually um, it isn't just the lack of material goods that makes this such a, a difficult neighborhood uh, it's the culture uh, there is a culture of abuse there's a culture of um uh, of rape and neglect and uh, alcoholism. Uh, the, the, this area isn't just poor, it's broken. It's completely broken. And what's amazing that I've found with the people is I believe in these people. I believe that, they, that there is hope. Um, and uh, I've seen hope in their eyes. 
Uh, we gather the community together quite often. We'll have 500 or 1,000 people over to our place, uh, have a meal, and, and, uh, and talk about uh, how we can make it a better place. Um, and uh, they're making the first strides to do that. Uh, nobody fights for this community. They don't fight for themselves. They don't know how to fight. And so God sent me here to fight for them, to be a voice uh, among the fellow Kenyans here in Nakuru, to be a voice uh, among the government. I have great relationships with uh, the chief and the MCA in the area. Uh, they've been very supportive. I've got a wonderful relationship with the healthcare department, the education department. So God's really opening doors for us uh, to do this. And our goal is in five or ten years, this actually won't be uh, a slum anymore, uh, but it'll be a, at least maybe a lower middle class uh, area. Hey Amen. That's, that's very pleasing to hear. And I'm glad you're working with the local government as well. That's always a promising sign. Can you just tell me again, I think you mentioned it before, can you just mention some of the stats again in terms of what the size of this community is and how many people are living here? And then maybe explain to me, because you said you were trying to um, make sort of it was it six or seven villages out of it. Yes. Like, what is what is the idea there? I, mean, I remember, like, you know, when, when Moses had the, the Israelite children and, and, you know, his father-in-law advised him, you know, to say, yeah, just you know, separate it and have, you know, sort of an order system. So what is the idea behind what you're doing with the, the village separation there? Um, it's, it's really, it's twofold. One, it's to take the burden off of me of just being swarmed. I'm, I'm inundated when I go out uh, into the community. And so uh, I, get, I get presented with, as I say, dozens of legitimate emergencies uh, every single day I go out. Um, but... Um, it's just unmanageable. And it's also one way that you can help create a healthy society is to organize it, right? So we're going to hold elections. Uh, in these seven or eight different districts, there'll probably be 2,000 people represented. They're going to elect their own representative uh, to speak for them. That begins to empower them. That brings hope. That, bring, that changes the whole dynamic of us being forgotten, neglected, thrown away people. But we actually have a voice. And just like our God wants to be known, People want to be known. And so we're giving them that voice and that input. That is really exciting. I love the idea of having um, the people elect their own like um, local leaders. Are you going to sort of teach the people there how to, like, I don't know, if there's like a, several people who want to gun for the top position, like how to teach them how to campaign and how to sort of, I mean, because they're going to have to fulfill roles as a leader. Exactly. Is, is that part of something else that you do is teach them how to fulfill these leadership roles and what that all means? Yes, we are going to be uh, growing up leaders. We're going to be growing up heroes in Hilton that lead their community uh, to a better life and uh, and ultimately to to um, a life in Christ, right? So um, even looking at our students in our school, um, uh, by changing the community and by having them be students instead of just the least of these, their identities change. Who they believe they are changes. And uh, what they're going to realize is that they truly aren't the least of these, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, they're going to be princesses and princesses of the Lord Most High. They're going to be royalty. And some of those kids are going to be the world's most amazing disciples because they will, there'll become a day in their life when they realize where they were born and that the only reason that they're not scavenging in the dump site the whole, their whole life is because God sent people here to uh, work with them and help them hands-on and that donors came and helped support them financially, uh, that they're going to really go out and be amazing disciples to affect the, this neighborhood, the community, nation, and world. 
and that's why we do what we do. It, it is so amazing to think, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And this, you could really say this community is just one of the last, you know, in line in terms of civility even and uh, where they might be in the future because of what the Bible has said. You, um, when you mentioned this school, Tell us a little bit about this. Like, are you teaching uh, English or is it Swahili? Like, what kind of teachers do you have for them? Are you, sure. Is it like a little American school out here in in, uh, in Kenya? Like, how does it all work? Right. Um, actually, uh, all of our staff is Kenyan. We have 14 staff members. Uh, over half of our uh, staff either grew up or lives in and around the dump site. So this isn't a project that we're doing in some foreign land. Uh, this is their community that they are trying to uh, help and transform. Uh, God just sent me here as a one-off guy on a mission trip and gave me this vision, and, uh, and I've been doing it. Um, they call me Daddy Dave in the school, but truly the heroes within our school are our staff members and, and teachers. Uh, they're all Kenyan. They're, the curriculum, we use the Kenyan curriculum. Um, we, we, uh, have Bible lessons. We have, uh, 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 we teach Swahili, English, uh, environment, art. Uh, part of what we do also is during the school breaks, you know, the schools here in Kenya, when they break, there's a, a month long break. And for the kids in our community, what it means is a month without food. And so it's not just our students in our school, but it's all the kids in all the schools don't get fed. And so in those month-long breaks, we actually open up our school and have all the kids from the neighborhood in. We have about 350 kids who are under 10 come by every day for lunch and for uh, art lessons, drama, sports contests, everything. And this is all about bringing joy and hope and uh, opportunity for the kids and for the community. So you said that you first came in 2007 and then you went home, packed up and came back. So how long has your organization now been running in Kenya? And in that time, what, what changes have you seen? Um, it's been amazing. Actually, it's, it, hey, it's a journey, right? It's, there's ups and there's downs. And we, uh, we actually have uh, opened a prior school. We partnered with a Kenyan organization, with an NGO, and uh, we lost that school. We lost. It was a difficult lesson. We lost that school through corruption, and we had to um, pull out. It was heartbreaking, uh, and so we lost the land. We lost the buildings that we had uh, built. Um, and this other organization, they actually kicked the kids that were in school back out into the dump site because they couldn't pay school fees, which broke my heart. Um, and God gave us a revelation. He said that I don't care about the buildings. He said, I care about the kids. And so on the other side of that heartache, he said, do it again. And uh, we did. We reopened. Actually, he told me in, in September 2013 to reopen the school. And he said, it'll be open in January 2014. Now, this is Kenya, and things move slowly. Oh, you're telling me. But our amazing God, and this is why this community looks at me with a little bit of a different expression on their face, is because I told everybody, God said we're going to have a school open in, in January, which is like three months. And you know what? He did. We bought land. We hired teachers. We had 18 kids in school that first week in uh, January 2014. And now five years later, we have 170 kids in school. Um, so 
Yep, he does what he, he can do anything. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's that's truly incredible. And you know, that's such a good story. I love hearing, you know, sometimes we do we do fall flat, but God says keep getting up. Just keep getting up. Life's not always gonna be just, you know, constant success after success after success. You know, sometimes we will have a have a flop and then we're gonna learn from that and grow. I thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I'm really excited about Hilton's Heroes. For those who are listening who might want more information or who would love to support Hilton's Heroes, where can they go to do that absolutely and we do have a uh, student sponsorship program um What's unique about it is that half of your sponsorship uh, goes to the student's education and the other half goes to help their families and transform the community because we really believe that the, um, uh, the goal is to not just do these one-off acts of compassion, which are definitely good, but in order to change things. This area has been like this for 60 years. In order to change this area, we have to change it all. We have to change the whole culture. So uh, the child sponsorships help the student and the community as well. Uh, you can go on uh, www.hiltonsheroes.org and uh, see some beautiful pictures of kids. What you will see, if you're listening, what you will see and you go to that page, you're going to see smiling kids. You're going to see kids that are full of joy because that's how God sees them. He doesn't see them uh, as these castaways and, and, and uh, as these children that uh, sometimes when you see them don't look in rough shape. Uh, we see them as just uh, full of huge potential. Uh, full of joy of the Lord. And uh, uh, there's one out there. If you're somebody that believes, you know, you want to help the least of these, we've got some kids uh, that would love to have you connect with them. So that's www.hiltonsheroes.org. Hiltonsheroes.org. Thank you so much for stepping into my van studio today, Dave. I really appreciated your time. So, Dave, can I just ask you, why specifically Hilton? Like, why did you choose this area in Nakuru? Um, thank you. That's a great question. Um, it was. It's my heart. And I truly believe that if Jesus was in Nakuru, he would be hanging out with and living with the people right here in the Gyoto and Hilton area. Amen. This is so true because he didn't. He didn't come for the the whole and the healed. He came for the broken and, and the people who needed him the most. I'd head again to that to that website. It's www.hiltonsheroes.org. Back to you boys in the studio. Don't have too much fun without me.
comes to mind when you think of studying nursing? Practical experience? A rewarding career? Great employment prospects? When you think of nursing, think of Avondale College of Higher Education. 92.7% of our nursing graduates were employed within four months of completing their degree, with credible experience and with friends for life. To apply now, visit avondale.edu.au. It's higher education, designed for life. Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.